Okay, do you do any draft shipping? And they said, yeah, I can draft you percent. Okay, good. Send me uh, your uh, price list. And then they resell the price list and I will see nothing is in itches. Everything is in pallets. So we say, <laughs> oh, okay, um, but you said you drop ship. They said, yeah, I can drop ship the pallets to your warehouse. Man, that's not a drop ship, okay? You're not drop shipping. You're shipping a pallet to my warehouse. I'm actually procuring. I'm doing a bulk order from you and you're shipping it to me. That's not drop shipping. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Every vendor out there would love to get on the shelves of big box retailers, but the conversation finishes as soon as they ask for the price list. It might finish even sooner if you don't know how to find the right buyer and understand their interests before pitching to them. So what are the best practices to get the attention of retail buyers? In today's episode, our guest Gil Barlev shares his insights about the challenges associated in getting products on retailers' shelves. He also talks about how dropshipping works and how some people might confuse it with the wholesale model. Finally, he discusses different strategies in navigating larger procurement organizations and how to get their attention. Let me introduce Gil to you. Gil is the CEO and founder of Home Roots. He is a serial entrepreneur filled with creativity and a hunger to thrive in the current digital world. Gil founded Home Roots, combining his passion for furniture, e-commerce, and technology to disrupt the way selling and buying furniture is done with a novel worldwide platform. Home Roots helps sellers and buyers increase profit margins and reduce overhead. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Gil. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me here, Sam. My pleasure. Of course. And we are super excited to have you as well because the kind of experience that you bring to the table, especially from the retailer's perspective, it's going to be so fascinating for our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your uh, current focus skill? Sure. So my personal story actually did not come from the retail at the beginning. My personal story came as a software developer right, cool. where I wrote code and I was very interested in the internet of things at that time, um, just building websites for corporate. I, that was that was my main thing. But um, somehow I got into a project with uh, with Toys R Us and that, uh, I started uh, working there and the major project that uh, I was asked to lead because in the internet of things was to do business with uh, the e-commerce uh, leader at that time, which was Amazon. Right? So I basically led a project with Amazon, and that's the beginning for me into the e-commerce and retail space with Toys R Us on the global scale and Amazon and the e-commerce. And that's how it grew. That's what got me into this, uh, what I'm doing today. 
Okay, very interesting. So obviously, you know, we would love to hear some of these stories that you might uh, have to be able to share, to be able to learn from them. So we'll dig into all of that. But before we do that, uh, you know, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Business growth. Wow. Okay. So that's general. So I believe that even though right now there is a lot of people who are saying that we might be in a recession or there's a slowdown in the market or whatever it is, but I believe there is no better time for companies' growth okay. than in those times like today. I, that's personally my belief because when other companies are scaling back, trying to cut back on things, trying to do things, this is the opportunity for you as maybe as a business owner or, or, or you're leading a certain division in another corporate or corporate. That's your opportunity to actually step forward as, fa- as fast as you can and take a bigger market share. Um, and that's the, that's the, if there is a time, now it's the time. Yeah, could not agree more. There are, there could definitely be opportunities even um, in the depressed market. So thank you so much for uh, sharing that. So now let's start with the story. And I don't know which uh, stories you are going to have uh, to share related to this whole uh, a retailers experience when they are trying to get into the big box retailers shelves and obviously that could be a very frightening experience we have done some episodes and some people you know they had very different uh, approach in how they got into that for example i don't know if you are familiar with cara golden um, she is the ceo of hint water right um, so she had very different approach in terms of how she got into that uh, we have also done one more interview with um, uh, another person uh, who has an app and they have, again, very uh, different approach in how they attack this. So let's say if we go by the traditional means, and I don't know what approach you are going to have. Um, so let's say if you were to sort of describe <laughs> the process, you know, what, how can uh, we uh, get into retailer shelves? Yeah. So I, I'll tell you the, the, the what we call the front door approach, and we'll talk a little bit more, maybe let's call the side door approach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the front door approach will be, you know, every retailer, it doesn't matter what products you're trying to sell to, uh, but they pretty much have some type of a port on their portal, on their website, a way to become, apply to become a supplier. Yeah. Right? So the front door approach will be you go onto their website, you find out where it is that this link exists, and then you just fill up a form and you submit it. Yeah. Right. Now, for my personal experience, especially nowadays, if you're not a minority, you're not a veteran, if you're not a woman-owned business, you know, and if you, uh, the more checkboxes that you check with that, you got a better chances of having what I call like the callback or reach out back from that retailer. They'll learn more about you. But if your if your business does not check off those, as I mentioned, like minority-owned, veteran, woman-owned, all those things then the likelihood of your your product to be presented are for you for your company to get a callback, the, the chances are very slight. Right. That's my personal experience uh, with that. So that takes us on to the side approach, the side yeah. door approach, right? Of how do you get in? And which is applicable to any sales call, any pitch call, anything. You gotta find someone that knows someone that can get you in. It's through the network. Yeah. Right? So a certain way, whether to go through the social media, through your own network, through asking your friends and family, through looking at your LinkedIn account, find out who's that person that you want to actually get in touch with within that organization, within that retailer that can actually make the introduction. There's nothing better than a warm introduction that can bypass all this threat tape and get you straight to pitch the person that you want to pitch. Right? And that's, that's usually um, the best bet 
to go about it. And that will be my recommendation to get started. In addition, I will say that you may want to go after all the details, but in reality, you can't. So it's enough that you start off with one or one in a specific segment that you can somehow find a network, find find the the, the path to get to that uh, um, person that you actually need to pitch. Enough that you get one. And then the second one later on, once you are in business with the first one, when you do go go ahead and apply to the second one, it's going to be easier for, for you to, to get in because they already see that you have been working with maybe one of their competitors or another big player in the market that now they see you more of a trustworthy um, to actually be listened to and see what you got and what you have to offer. So this is pretty much the approach. It's one word, networking, Sam. That's what it is. It's just networking. Yeah, so very interesting perspective. I really like the way you have broken that down into the front and uh, side door approach. Uh, and uh, then you also need to define your target market. Uh, obviously, that is super critical. So I will tell you my personal experience, to be honest, because I also deal with mm-hmm. a lot of procurement. And typically, the form that you are talking about on the site, that is typically put by a procurement person. You know, obviously, they need to buy stuff. Um, and they have their own KPIs in terms of which are the vendors that they want to work with. But one thing I will tell you that is going to be consistent, whether you are trying to sell your products or whether you are going to buy your products, okay? Both are going to be in equal pay. It's also very hard to find the right vendors that are going to be reliable, that are going to be trustworthy, that are going to be going to be providing the products that they really care, okay? So you mentioned a couple of factors such as unless you are minority owned obviously those are the check boxes the companies are also trying to check because they need to make sure that they are the the kpis mm-hmm. but at the same time they also have their own priority and in, in in my experience and based on the kind of you know interviews that we have done so far typically the problem always is going to be in finding the right product categories where you should be positioning your product in aligning the kind of you know pitch that they want to hear Typically, there's going to be a little bit of disconnect. And if you don't understand which are the product categories that your product should be falling to, because they have their own way of looking at the product, if you're trying to sell a new category, and if it does not really fit in their product categories, then they don't even know how to sort of, you know, pursue your request. So I don't know if you have any sort of follow-up comments there, any sort of stories that you might be able to share based on what I just shared. Yeah, no, definitely. You, you raise a very, very, very good point. And I agree with that 100%. 100%. So it's like the, the concerns from a retailer standpoint, the reason why, first of all, they're not reaching out. Obviously, the, the, the minimum is just they're getting a sheer amount of requests to become yep. their supplier. A lot of requests, right? And they don't have the time. You know, just look at, you know, just look at your day to day. You don't have time to get back to anybody who's reaching out to you. You're busy. Right? And especially when you have all those different requests, different products, whatever, you just don't have the time. Right? But when going back to my point about finding the, the network that can through that you can get in, that becomes like a warm referral. When you get someone that's referring to you, someone that you know, that someone that you trust and say, hey, Sam, you know what? You should really uh, listen five minutes to Gil. You might have something interesting. There's a better chance that you're going to actually listen to that guy and you're going to hear me out because you trust that guy. You don't trust me yet. You don't trust Gil, but you trust that guy. And because you trust that guy, you're going to give me a chance. Now, it doesn't mean it's not a recipe for us to do business together, but it definitely uh, increases the chances of us actually doing together um, to, to actually get it into a certain interaction. And maybe I can spark your interest and we can do something about it in the future. But 
I'm tell you, going back, Subito is the, the biggest concern is quality, right? Yeah. So you got to find at least one company that is that is aligned to your core competence, right? Don't try to, I don't know, if you're now selling um, toys, okay? Don't go after a, a shoe company that maybe offer them, like, you know, maybe do it like as a side uh, gig or, or another flash sale or whatever. Not their thing. Don't 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 go that route. If you're selling toys, go after companies that sell toys. That that's what they want to do. That's what they're looking to get um, um, vendors for. But the quality is an issue. So your first one's going to be the most difficult one. After you've done the first one, you could then leverage that relationship with the first one, just as the proof of concept, just as a way to referral. Yeah. And say hey. Look, I'm already selling to this guy. And look, you can look up the products. You can look at maybe if it's online, then look at the reviews, look at, you know, feedback from consumers. You see that my product is trustworthy and use that as a leverage for your next, for second and third and fourth companies or customers that you really want to go after. And that's, uh, that's pretty much, uh, but like anything, the first one is the most difficult, but that's why you need someone to let you help you get in through the door. I mentioned about the, the side door. So there is also a different type of a side door, which yeah. is always maybe maybe it's not um, always easy, but you may want at times to see where those customers are, where they're going, where what exhibitions or shows or events um, they are attending. Right, and and give you a way to attend and and let yourself attend in the same event, the same convention, the same exhibitions. Get try to get into a dialogue with them, not in a way that it's like stalking them, right? <laughs> you want to spook them and then turn them off completely, but as a casual, casual way, try to talk to them, get yourself introduced. It's the same way like to try to I don't know hate on someone. It's just it's just a way to to get yourself in top of the communication where the other side is a little bit more comfortable speaking to you. And then maybe if the conversation went well, you're going to have a second day. You're going to have a way to, to pick up the phone, maybe if they're, or then maybe they call you back and give you another couple of minutes to pick your line or your product to them. So that's, that's another approach that I've, I've used in the past. Um, again, it's a little bit, uh, as I mentioned, the, the introduction approach um, is, in my opinion, is a bit uh, better and quicker. But in case you don't have a route, go that through those events, uh, exhibitions to try to get a hold of that person, be in front of them. Don't pitch them hard. Just try to react as if you're trying to make a friend. That's it. Okay. Don't so very, very interesting perspective there. Obviously, the trade shows are going to be very critical in general. And that's where the business are accredited, even though we're living in COVID world, but trade shows were, are, <laughs> you know, they were still meaningful and they are probably going to be meaningful for a long time. Um, just because, you know, it's just a matter of trust, right? When people uh, walk in to a trade show, there is a sense of trust, um, you know, with most businesses. So now, one of the points that you mentioned overall about the quality and, you know, quality, when I personally look at, and again, I am sort of trying to balance the procurement perspective as well, because the way procurement thinks and works, uh, you know, they, for them, the quality is going to be related to their product categories. In fact, when you are going to be looking at different organizations, the way their procurement teams are structured, the way their buyers are structured, each of the buyers are going to be for very specific categories. So now, let's say if you have sold toys and if you are talking to a person in the home goods retail space, they are not going to understand. They are not even, they will not be able to connect with the toys person. They'll not be able to connect with the grocery person because they speak very different language. They are going to have very different KPIs 
the way they are going to be measuring the quality, right? Because the home goods is a very different product category than your toys. So that's how those guys think from the buyer perspective. And if you are not going to be speaking their language, they are going to think probably either you don't enough experience in the micro vertical that we are talking about, or you are probably new in the market. And that's why mm. you probably don't know, you know, how to talk to a buyer who is probably buying the home goods uh, uh, product category. So now uh, you focus a lot in the home goods retail category, right? So do you have any specific nuances yeah. of the products that you might be able to mention where, you know, these retailers are either going to care or the retailers should be, uh, or the uh, people who are trying to target retailers, they should be focusing on those aspects when they are trying to prospect these re- retailers. So, so I can tell you that usually the retailers um, that tend to have a brick and mortar stores. Yeah. Right. Not the, not the, um, so the, the, the online only uh, retailers, I think they're operated in a little bit more, uh, in a different way, which we can definitely talk about it. But the brick and mortar stores, they operate in a way, like you mentioned, they have departments. But then every department has their own buyer slash category manager slash merchandiser that pretty much curates the list of products that they want to get sold in their department. Right. This is their job. This is what they are hired for. Now, you got to make sure that you're tailoring and you're pitching the right department and you got to get to the right buyer. Now, it's not an easy thing. It's easy said than done, right? If you go to LinkedIn, for example, you're going to try to find, I don't know, uh, a certain buyer. They don't always disclose what department Exactly. They're the buyer for. Exactly. So you don't really know, right? So you have to, you kind of have to a- ask. Obviously, you have no choice. But I think I recommend asking. But right? the fact that you are asking, hey, you know, I'm in such and such. Are you the buyer for this category? If you're not, okay, which I understand that you may not be, do you mind? Can you help me out and refer me to someone or pass all my information to the right department, to the right buyer? Right. At least you show that you understand their world, that they do operate in a segregated uh, manner. And it's not just one buyer fetch-all, right? It's, it doesn't work necessarily like that. Now, the e-commerce, the big e-commerce companies, from my experience, I'm not saying all of them, so I'm giving yeah. a general rule of thumb. They don't tend to have those uh, segregations. They tend to have more of an account owner, account manager, a counterpart, maybe someone that maybe started off with specific categories, in their organization, yeah, they are. They do belong to the category. But when you do establish the relationship with you, they will they will look at the products overall, all the products that you're selling, and they'll figure out, okay, the majority of those products fall into that category. Therefore, this is your person, this is your category manager, and that category manager actually going to be your liaison into the rest of the category. So you actually do not have to deal with multiple people. That at least has been my experience with more of web only. Uh, retailers um, in the space, but the brick and mortar uh, is very segregated, and you got to know uh, not to cross the line. Actually, they get they get uh, pissed off uh, at times when you do that, and that's not a good way to start a relationship. Uh, not to mention maintaining it. Okay, very interesting. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of stories, examples of any businesses that navigated, let's say, you know, uh, how they got onto. Uh, any businesses shelves, I guess, you know, so if you can offer any sort of stories, then we can probably reflect on that a little bit, you know, what kind of mistakes they have made, uh, you know, in their journey, uh, probably. Do you have any stories or examples by any chance? Yeah, no, no, I, I'll tell you two stories. One one from the side of uh, of the supplier or the vendor and the yeah. other one from the retailer side. Yeah. And less maybe um, a story retail, but, but more of um, lesson learned and advice. Yeah. 
to retailers and, and maybe not necessarily on the buyer level, but more to general managers and senior right. VPs about the way they need to think about their procurement in general, according to my point of view. But, but the, the story that, that I can tell you is, is, is also about the story about um, how in my previous life, I attempted to do business with uh, retailers in, in the way that I went about it. And initially, it was, um, it was really through connections, through salespeople. So I was looking for other salespeople who were actually doing business with that specific retailer. Yeah. Right? Now, that, that salesperson already know the retailers. He already has the contact. He already know which department, which buyer exactly to reach out to. So the fact that I was able to find, so my, my efforts were spent more um, on, on not trying to actually reach out directly to the buyer, but actually trying to find out the person who was already con- in connection yeah. with that buyer. And I was trying to find that, and that's where majority of the efforts uh, spent. You know, that salesperson, for them, you know, they have a motive of, of, of actually selling more. So yep. they have the motive of money. They're motivated by money to get you into business with that retailer. Now, they want to make sure they're not wasting your time and that you're serious. So the personal story was, you know, at first, I was not that ready. Right? I didn't have all my ducks in a row. Sometimes you've got to come up with some product presentation. Yeah. Right? There, there's a certain way to present it. So I wasn't aware of all the things. I wasn't aware of all the information. The pricing was not necessarily as much in line. You know, there's a lot of things that I at first maybe did not understand about margin. Yeah. Right? This is a big topic for retailers. They're not very protective of their margins. And you got to make sure that when you are selling to them, you give them enough room to fulfill those margins requirements. Yeah. Right? So those are all the things that I've <laughs> learned over the years with mistakes being done, with first reaching out to uh, through sales reps, giving a certain, um, you know, uh, a pricing proposition for a product and then realize the price is completely off. And usually you got one chance. It's very tough to get a second chance if you blow it up. Uh, so the, the lesson learned here is really do your homework before. Look at the competition, see how much the competition is selling the products for and make sure that you give at least 45, even even sometimes if you want to be very, um, I would say, get some proper attention, maybe give 50 points for the retailer so they have enough to uh, market your products out there without concern, without being concerned about competition or getting uh, their margins uh, being cut off. So again, that's my, my lesson learned, you know, my personal story, just going through the iterations, whether that's preparing the product proposal, but it's just the pricing and pricing for the right person that can actually get me through uh, through the door. Now, I tell you my personal advice to now I'm flipping the side. Now I'm coming from a retailer standpoint. Yeah. And, and maybe this is more of my advice to um, the general manager levels, the VP levels, maybe even to level executive levels. There is a tendency now, and I and I and I've been in this world. I've, I've worked in the retailer. In, in my past, I have team members who worked in retailers in their past. We have experience from the buying side of how things work, right? And there is a mindset where if you bring in stuff to your stores, if something's going to actually occupy a store shelf, you know, it's going to yep. occupy uh, a space on the, on the shelf, you know, yeah, you got to be very curated. You, you're going to, you're going to have to be curating the list of what you're bringing into the store because you don't have much space. Yep. Right. You you got to make sure that you're selling, and you cannot have dead you know dead products sitting on the shelf because the store will die. You, you just have to. So you're very picky. 
And there are ways to go about it as a retailer, as a buyer. And I get that and I, I vouch for it. It makes a lot of sense yeah. for me. But when you come online, when you bring this to the online, you got to leave it with the store. Forget about it. Don't try to bring that curated list onto what's going to be there on the store. There's have been many times when I spoke to retailers and they told me, okay, give me your best 20. Give me your best 50. I'm going to give you those best 20 and 50. But if that's where you're going to cap, this is where, where you're actually going to put a cap on our relationship, you're missing big time because there is a big entail of product that can be sold online on products, products that you as a buyer have no clue. You don't even think, you cannot even imagine. The consumer will somehow find those products on your site and they will order. And there will be plenty of products like that. So there's a way to go about curating your list. There's a way to go about procurement. But in my opinion, if you're strictly, if you're looking online, grow your assortment of products. Don't be that picky. 20 products here, 50 products here, send me another proposal, another review. Get this thing off the table. Doesn't matter. You need to get, okay, you, you within your system, you can curate, you can push on your landing pages, on your category pages, on your home pages, what you want as the top 20, top 50, whatever it is. It's your website. It's your retail company. You do it, you do it as you need. But if you're going to cap it at it, you're missing the big market of e-commerce. And that, there's so many plenty of examples out there. You know, everybody knows Amazon, right? There are plenty of examples out there with companies that did not do that and see where they, how far they got and companies who kept on blocking and product review and submission and another submission, another review, send me back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They just don't scale. They don't grow as fast, if at all, compared to the companies who don't do that. So my advice there, and it's a change of a mindset. And trust me, I've spoken to many GMs, many VPs, senior VPs, C-level executives. They, 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 it's a mindset. Mind, it's a mindset change uh but i like to uh leverage this show sam you know for the listeners welcome to this world you're missing big time open yourself change change the mindset from the store to online it's not the same mindset it does not work okay so obviously uh, there are many layers that we can feel on in in both of them and i like both of the perspectives that you have offered from the supplier perspective as well from the retailer perspective so let's pick the retailer one first, because that is something that is probably slightly newer, that is probably going to be slightly newer for our business, okay? So you mentioned that when you have the physical yeah. space, obviously, you cannot occupy every single product out there, just because you are probably going to run out of the space. And that is probably not the effective utilization of your space, and that you are probably going to pay the price as well. So your recommendation is in the store world, Obviously, you need to keep your constraints in mind. But in the e-commerce world, your recommendation is that, you know what, product categories or the limitation does not make as much sense. But let's say if I am thinking more from the e-commerce perspective, even in the case of e-commerce, what is going to happen is when you are going to get an order for a specific product, you still have to store that somewhere in the warehouse. So your space is still going to be limited. There are only so many categories. There are only so many variants that you can keep. It's not that, I mean, you can wait to have an order for the customer and then go and buy. It's not going to work that way unless you are a very small shop where you are literally, 
you know you have put the landing page and waiting for the order and then calling your suppliers okay how do i buy the products now now you have received the order that's a very different yeah. approach but if you are a decent sized business then you need to sort of align your supply and demand because the more aligned it is going to be the better experience your customers are going to have the the more efficiencies you are going to have uh, from the business model perspective so warehouse space is going to be one factor that you still need to make sure even in the e-commerce world the other factor that you mentioned that you know what don't limit yourself okay when you are not going to be limiting yourself so i don't know how google is going to take it, going to be taking you serious because google is going more and more specific they are looking for let's say if you are selling home retail goods then i expect you to sell these five products because your competitors are trying to position on those five products as well so i am going to take you seriously when you are going to tell me okay you are really home goods uh, you know reseller if you are going to be keeping everything one day you are selling home goods yeah. the second day you are selling toys then you know google gets confused okay <laughs> how do i sort of you know no, no, I'm uh, good, I'm Yeah no no I I definitely agree no I I'm saying it's obviously it's just by all means you get, you got to stay focused on your lane of your your industry and your products right don't right, start right. what my point was not start selling I don't know um uh cosmetics alongside with furniture and let's say yeah that's that's going to be <laughs> bad marriage you touch upon a good point with with the warehouse and so and and about the storage and everything so I wanted to to clarify uh something about that need and and what I meant by push as many products as you can on online but when you're getting products the beauty of now of online uh or e-commerce in general there's there's a term which I've not invented but cool dropship now if yeah. you have a very strong um and and it that is where you touching back to a quality vendor yeah right, touching back to a quality vendor a quality vendor for me not it doesn't end only by the quality of the product yeah but also by the quality of the ability to fulfill product on time and the ability to serve right even if you don't do fulfillment if if you let the the retailer do the fulfillment assuming that they wanted that still on the back end you need to support them you need to service them you need to service their customers right so you, from the quality standpoint that that's the scope of it right it's not just about the actual product it's about the service as a whole to to their customer but if what i was saying back into um not limiting yourself with a with a number of products is because you know if you do have a good relationship and your system to system with your suppliers is tightly um organized then you can rely on their fulfillment real time fulfillment to fulfill the orders on your behalf with your requirement and especially by the way many retailers are actually asking for that they are using companies that are out there to to force the stock not to be warehouse in their own warehouses yeah they don't want to have those carrying costs they want their suppliers to have the carrying cost of the inventory and they rely on their suppliers to fulfill on their behalf in real time to the customer but when the retailer comes from that point where i think the value of that is after you have a large assortment of products and tried you can easily spot within time you can spot what are the best sellers and those best sellers you can then bring into your own fulfillment centers and have a tighter control over the fulfillment the delivery the experience you know there's a lot of things that you can do within your own fulfillment centers that you cannot do by relying on your suppliers but so it it it's um it's an evolution it's evolution right that retailers are going through um i can tell you that that the, the mindset even with some of the many of the brick and mortar stores still they like the suppliers to own the inventory in their own uh carry the inventory in their own warehouses the retailers don't want to have those uh warehousing costs they don't want to bear it 
only the top top sellers are going to actually bring them into their fulfillment center and then they're going to offer like what i don't know that close announced just recently that they're going to be able to offer with instacart able to offer uh same day delivery a one hour delivery i think it was i don't know a couple of hours delivery if i'm not mistaken yeah um almost nationwide right they will do it for the top sellers but for them to find the top sellers they need to see the assortment you never know what sales what's not you may think that a product will never sell until you put it on your site and consumers start seeding it you don't know from where and then it becomes a top seller things that you can never imagine i've seen so many different products out there that i would never ever in my world have imagined that they will sell as good as they will sell as they sold and i was surprised and i'm sure that every retailer to every buyer in every category and every retailer can tell you the same story that they never imagined that this specific product would have sold or or, or will sell as good as it's sold had they ever been given the information ahead of time there's, there's no way so there's a lot of stories like that um we have stories like that all the time and it's not just in one specific vertical it's not one department it's it's across the board and it's amazing to see it. so yeah that's what i meant but i didn't mean you know hey home people start selling jewelry or or uh, <laughs> maybe start selling uh i don't know flip-flops uh, in your maybe they want to do it. I don't know. Thanks to the cashier, but <laughs> no, <you> know. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not saying that. That's not my advice. Uh, at least not off the shelf. You know, maybe they want to do some, you know, spark some type of a, of uh, you know the social media hype. Maybe they'll do something like that. But it's yeah, it's a business model. I I'm with you. That recommended. Cause confusion. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, to be honest. Okay, so dropshipping definitely increases the possibilities in the e-commerce world. Uh, you could probably have technically in the physical world as well. Now, you know, you have those business models that are evolving. Obviously, you need to have your system architecture in place to be able to have that. So we have seen cases where you are going to have walking in the store, you don't have product in the prod, you know, the store sort of drop ships from the store itself. But obviously then your POS needs to be connected mm-hmm. with your, uh, with your backend system and yeah, that can, has to do the. And the I can tell you, so, so I can tell you a story about uh, actually something that our company has done our, you know, at home route, which we had, uh, one of the retailers, right? Um, took, um, samples of our products, uh, that we, we offer and distributed across different stores. Yeah. Nationwide. Now, instead of carrying the entire inventory in the stores, what they did is just kept a few samples right. in the store, just from, yeah. the, um, you know, presentation, right? So the customer can actually see, feel, but they cannot, it's not cash and carry. They cannot yeah. just buy it on the spot and carry. So what happens is that actually they will go to the cashier, they pay for it, and then that retailer sends off the order on the back end to us, and then we like drop ship. On their behalf, directly to the to the customers. So we have plenty of examples of that, and this is actually something relatively new that we saw with many retailers who are actually looking to reduce their back end, you know, back warehouse footprint just to um, make it lighter or leaner, yeah. if you want to call it, and have less inventory on the shelves, just more of a sampling stuff, and let the customer just feel it, watch it, have the experience of buying in the shop. But don't actually have to bother with carrying it um, out of the store, and that's a, that's an approach. I was recently uh, recently I got exposed to it in the past year. Have not gotten exposed to it before personally, so I don't know if it's uh, been a common practice uh, before that. But it's a very interesting approach that I think it's very smart. Yeah. Um, and that 
that's the physical world version of uh, dropshipping. Exactly, exactly. So when we think of this uh, whole dropshipping business model, and I don't know how challenging it is going to be uh, to find some of these vendors that are going to be able to dropship. Obviously, when you are working with any of the vendors, uh, it's always going to be a very tricky relationship because you sort of lose control uh, with your customer relationship. Somebody else is holding the customer. I have seen scenarios where you know you hand off the control and that's it. Uh, you, you no longer have that that customer because they are trying to target that customer as well. Next time they are going to buy directly from the dropshipper. So you know you could have the channel conflict issues there as well. So I do know. Uh, if there are any sort of best practices where, uh, you know, that could be uh, incorporated as part of the contract that if I am sending you the customer and you are my dropshipper, then I need to have enough confidence that you are not going to be stealing my customers. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it's not a fun situation uh, to be in, I guess, right? Yeah, and, and I can tell this is the retailer is not near one of them. Uh, for them to see that somehow the customer, their customer is being targeted by their vendor. This is the worst scenario and this can end up a relationship on the spot yeah. and i i don't recommend um a supplier ever doing it ever try to cross that line with any retailer because you're going to lose if you think about it if you're if you're going to go after a few um your customers customers right yeah. you're going to start selling them directly don't think that your customers will not find about it they will maybe not today not tomorrow they will and that's when that happens it's over it's over. It, it's never gonna. It, you're never gonna get that relationship back, and you're burned out. So I don't recommend doing it. It's just a. I, I, I not recommend. I'm. <laughs> I tell you, do not do it. <laughs> okay, don't do it. It's 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 wrong. It's wrong morally. It's wrong business wise. It's just yeah. simply wrong. Never never do it. Um, now on the other hand, um, I will um, advise retailers right when they're forming those relationships with their suppliers. To put a clause in place that protects them from such a thing, just in case, you know, got to be, there's got to be some repercussions in case something like that happens. Again, I've, you know, I can't tell you that I've not seen things in my life. I've seen everything, but going back, I, I, I don't recommend a supplier to do it to their customers. Just plain wrong. Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Could not agree more. So obviously, you know, this is going to be just one challenge. Let's say, you know, uh, I keep enough faith in the world that, you know, suppliers are going to be good and they are never going to be stealing my customer and I find somebody for dropshipping. Okay, that is not only going to be a challenge. Okay, there are going to be other challenges. For example, let's say I don't know. In my personal experience, there are challenges such as minimum order quantity and I don't know when you look at the dropshippers, newer ones probably might not have any sort of minimum order quantity. But for the most part, a lot of businesses, they don't want to deal with a lot of low volume opportunity. Otherwise, it could be really hard unless, you know, they are very high dollar. Um, so obviously they are trying to run the business as well. Sometimes it could be a lot of work uh, for them. So have you seen any sort of challenges related to minimum order quantity when you are trying to recruit these uh, dropshippers? Yeah. So the way I tell you what, so actually you remind me something that I, I giggled about uh, a while ago when when I when I saw it regarding dropshipping. But yeah, the the ones that put minimum order quantities, uh, in in my humble opinion, and I know that there are some people that may. Uh, disagree with me, but in my eyes, they're not dropshipping, meaning they're not facilitating dropshipping. And that's totally fine. Not every, listen, for, for uh, a manufacturer, for supplier to support dropshipping, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You have to pack each and every uh, box individually, exactly. individually. You have to pass order, order by order. Some cases, it doesn't even make 
sense for you to supply. If you're selling, I don't know, a $2 item, right, or a wholesale, or that $1 item in a wholesale, how much money are you going to make by picking, packing it, and shipping it? You're not going to make one. You're going to lose one. Okay? Yeah. You cannot do dropshipping. It doesn't fit dropshipping. It doesn't fit any industry, any price. Can. It's all depends, right? Um, obviously, if you were to sell a box of water, right, a full water, and now you're selling the entire box of maybe not water, but maybe, I don't know, some uh, sweetener drinks or whatever it is, special um, some type of uh, soda, whatever it is that, you know, the retail price, the wholesale price is a little bit more, I don't know, maybe like 20 bucks or 15 bucks, then maybe, yes, maybe then it makes some sense to do some drop shipping because you have some margins that you can play with. But my opinion is that not every business is planned to do drop shipping. It depends on how much money you're making on the individual unit. If you don't make enough money on the individual unit or even two units, don't get into drop shipping to begin with. It's not what it's not worth for you. And it's fine. Some companies even if they do make enough money, it's just a lot of work. They need to they need the facilities in the warehouse, they need more people, they need they need more packaging material, logistics people. It's just as I said, it's 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 an operation. Supporting dropshipping is operation. It has a lot of work involved with that. There's a lot of opportunities because now you can be catering yourself to a lot of different businesses that are not necessarily in the stores. But you got to be ready for that. One, financially, they're going to be an investment upfront to support it. It's not just going to come by itself. But it's funny because I, I know that many times when I was on the buying side, I was reaching out to suppliers and then I asked them, okay, do you do the dropshipping? And they said, yeah, I can dropship. They said, okay, good. Send me uh, your uh, price list. And then they resell the prices, and I will see nothing is in itches. Everything is in pallets, right? So we say, <laughs> oh, okay, um, but you said you dropship. You said, yeah, I can dropship the pallet to your warehouse. Man, that's not a dropship, okay? You're not dropshipping. You're shipping a pallet to my warehouse. I'm actually procuring. I'm doing a bulk order from you, and you're shipping it to me. That's not dropshipping. And then they argued and said, no, it is dropshipping. It's a single pallet. Otherwise, I will do a, a, a direct import from overseas. said, you know what? Let's agree to disagree. This is not dropshipping in my opinion. That's not what I meant. And thank you very much. But if I want to buy in bulk from you or want to buy a place, uh, a larger order for me to do the fulfillment, this is, this is a fit and we can move forward. But it's so much, it's so funny to see, uh, <laughs> every time I see it, like somebody says, yeah, I'll drop a pallet into your warehouse. That's dropshipping. No, it's not. Sorry. Not. Okay, so you made a very interesting comment there, and I want to dig a little uh, deeper there. So you mentioned send me your price list. So obviously you have not spoken about the different products. You know what was the, the prop there of different products? You are simply asking for the oh. price list. Uh, is that very common practice? Not common practice? How does that handshake work? Because they need to be able to show you the product before they give you the price, right? <laughs> yeah, no, they have to first come with a proposal with the product, just the general information, right? You're gonna, they're gonna spark your interest. They're not gonna reveal their cost of how, what your potential cost might be before you actually said, okay, I'm interested in this category. I'm interested in this line of product, right? They don't want to just expose it out there publicly to everyone, right? And, and, and the box, by the way, the same thing goes to the other side, right? Suppliers by themselves don't want to expose their price sheet, uh, to whoever it is if they don't feel that, that the other side is serious and not enough about buying, right? Again, pricing, it's a confidential information. Exactly. It's not public information. It's not just you give just the public information about product information. Yeah. It's public information, everybody can see. Pricing is confidential. So both sides got to have to feel as if the other side is serious enough about that transactions to expose it. But without getting the price, there can never be a purchase. 
I, you don't know. You're not gonna buy it and say, ah, okay, yeah, I got a bill for a hundred bucks or or a hundred thousand bucks. Uh, yeah, I'm cool with that. No, you you want to know how much you're gonna pay upfront. So at some point in time, after a dialogue, and I'm not saying it has to be from the first interaction of an email. Most likely, it will not happen on the first interaction of an email uh, or a phone call. But you, they gotta build some trust before one side can disclose the pricing. And yes, it's a common practice. You have to go through this stage in order to actually submit slash receive a purchase order from from, from uh, your customer or submit a purchase order to your supplier. All right. Amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice or remarks uh, for our listeners? No, I just say that I'm, I'm more than happy to, to interact with listeners. I mean, again, mostly I'm, I'm online, uh, usually on LinkedIn. In most cases, if somebody wants to look at me up, uh, it's skill.barlev, right? Or they can find me even our, on our home uh, on a homepage on the website. This is homeboots.co, which is my company. Again, more than happy to talk to the audience. More than happy to get questions offline. It's always a pleasure. I love interacting with people and get uh, get second opinion. So feel to reach out. More than happy to. Send. Okay, amazing. And we are going to be including your information in the show notes as well, so that people can uh, easily find you. On that note, my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be there are so many different opportunities, especially the kind of business models that are evolving um, when you talk about buying store, uh, ship to home, etc. Those are some of the new business models that you're exploring yeah. and there are tremendous opportunities out there, even in the market when it is going to be depressed. On that note, thank you so much for your time. This has been a powerful yeah. episode. Thank you, Sam. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Gil, head over to homeroots.co. It's H-O-M-E-R-O-O-T-S dot C-O. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Robert Giovannini, who shares his insights into the e-commerce nuances for furniture manufacturers. Also, the interview with Ben Rudnick, who shares his insights into how companies can increase their revenue by improving the findability and searchability of their product lines. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.